One of Paul's happiest letters is his first letter to the Thessalonians. The church in Thessalonica was one that was the apple of Paul's eye. He was delighted with the faith and the progress and grace of its people. He writes this particular letter to encourage them in their faith, to express his thanks for their faith, and to deal with issues that they were facing. And at the very end of this letter, in the fifth chapter, he said, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You're aware that this next Thursday is our national celebration of Thanksgiving. It is a national holiday. It is a holiday like a number of others that is tied to our history and our values as a people. But to us as Christians, it is the most important of all of our national holidays. It is more important than Columbus Day when we remember the discovery of the new world by Europeans. It is more important than the 4th of July when we mark the anniversary of that rebellion that wrested the American colonies from the British Empire. It is more important than President's Day when we remember the significance of certain men whose character and values and leadership gave shape to our national culture. It is more important than Veterans Day on which we take note of military service rendered for the national good and more important than Memorial Day, when we recall the sacrifices made by men and women of the armed forces to secure our liberties and to protect what we believe to be our national interests. It is more important than all of these holidays to us as Christians because it alone among them all is a religious holiday. While it may be true that on some of those other days, prayers are offered the definition of the day itself does not require that. But Thanksgiving is the one day a year when we as Americans are strongly encouraged to remember the role that the providence of Almighty God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, has played in our nation's history. I suppose that throughout our history, but particularly today, Thanksgiving is just another holiday. It's another day away from the usual demands of schedule. Schools are closed, factories are silent. It's a four-day weekend that begins with a great meal, followed by football on television and safaris to the mall. But to us, and to millions of other true Christians gathered for worship on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, it is much more than that. It is a day in which we recognize, a day in which we honor, a day in which we celebrate the role that God and his faith have played in the history of our people. And already, those of you who will be leading your family and your friends in prayers around your tables on that particular holiday are giving serious thought to your prayer on that occasion. 
No ordinary table grace will suffice because this is no ordinary day. Thanksgiving as a celebration is as old as America itself. It was first observed in October of 1621, very close to the first anniversary of the landing of the pilgrims at Plymouth. In that year, you may recall that fully half of their number perished because of disease. And yet at its end, in spite of the enormity of their losses and the difficulty of their lives, they felt so richly and so undeservedly blessed by our God that they appointed not a single day, but a season of several days specifically set aside for the giving of thanks. This expression of the depth and the strength of their faith in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ speaks clearly to all who will hear of the Christian roots of American civilization. The first proclamation making Thanksgiving an official national holiday was issued by George Washington. He said, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor, now therefore I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all that is good, all that is, and all that will be, and that we may all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country. The date for the celebration of Thanksgiving was further refined by President Lincoln in the 1860s and by President Roosevelt in the 1940s. But we have to understand that the giving of thanks to God is not a unique American response to the providence of God. The giving of thanks, of course, is much older than America itself. It is older than the proclamations of our presidents. It is older than the gathering of the pilgrims at the end of their first year in the New World. It is older than the hymns and prayers of the leaders and the descendants of the Protestant Reformation. It is older than the glad recognition of the goodness of God in their lives by those living in various places and at various times in the life of the church that Christ established. It is older than the counsel of Paul to the Thessalonians to give thanks in all things. It is older than the prayers of Jesus as he held in hand, soon to be torn by Roman nails, those elements which would become the principal symbols of our celebration of the Lord's Supper. The giving of thanks is older than the habit of the prophet Daniel to retire to his chambers, to turn his face toward Jerusalem in those private devotions that nearly brought his life to a public end. It is older than the eloquent language of Isaiah and David, and the simple offerings and songs brought by the saints to the temple and before that to the tabernacle. The giving of thanks is older than that offered at the altars of Noah and Jacob and Abraham. And in fact, the giving of thanks is as old as human history, beginning with Adam shortly after the fall, who built an altar specifically to worship and acknowledge the goodness of God 
and there taught his sons to worship as well. Thanksgiving is the natural response of all people who glimpse, however dimly, the brightness of the glory and the depth of the goodness of God. The giving of thanks is expected when something is received that is not one's due. A paycheck arrives in the mail. A man or a woman opens that paycheck and checks the numbers and goes to the bank to deposit it and uses that money to pay bills. But the person does not rush to the telephone to call the company treasurer when the check arrives because this is nothing unexpected. It is nothing undeserved. It is one's due. But that same person receives another check, however large, however small, from a friend or a neighbor or someone in his family. And he calls immediately to express his gratitude because this check was not expected. This check is not known to be deserved. In our relationship with God, God does not thank us for acknowledging his existence, for pondering his character, for falling on our knees to worship him, for offering portions of our time and treasure to the service of his church, for praying, for trying to bring our lives into conformity with his word and will, because all of this and much more is simply what we owe God and, in fact, less than what we owe God. But on the other hand, you and I are expected to be thankful for every sign of his presence and blessing in our lives because every gift that we receive from God is born of grace and is undeserved. As sinners, in fact, we understand from the scriptures that all we really deserve from the hand of God is judgment and alienation. And therefore, if there is anything at all in life that gives joy, that results in peace, that provides hope, anything that satisfies, that comforts, that reassures, that motivates, the wise person will see this as the gift of God, a gift that is not his due, and will be immediately and genuinely grateful to God and say so. According to the Bible, the giving of thanks is required of all men because God is good to all men. Psalm 145, we read, You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living creature. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In Luke 17, we read of that familiar incident in which 10 men who had leprosy came to Jesus and he healed all 10 of them. But nine of them were so lost in unbelief or so weak in character that they didn't come bother to come back to thank him. But the one man revealed his faith and his character by returning to the Lord, recognizing that this was something unexpected and undeserved and poured out his heart in thanksgiving for what Jesus had done. And this reasonable expectation of thanksgiving from all people is expressed in a reverse fashion in the first chapter of Romans, where Paul deals with the reality of unbelief, describes some of the grotesque acts that unbelief will eventually lead to, and condemns the unbelieving of every kind by saying simply that they are not thankful to God. 
It is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian religion that God is good, not just to those who love and fear him, but to all people everywhere. But to this idea of the goodness and the beneficial aspect of God toward humanity, a common objection is raised. And we sometimes as Christians are asked, if there is a loving God in heaven, why is there suffering on the earth? And somehow the unbelieving think that they have solved a great philosophical riddle with this simplistic question. The Christmas shopping season is about to begin in earnest. And we've all seen or can easily imagine a scene in which a frustrated, angry, embarrassed young woman literally drags a screaming child out of a store. If we knew the history, we would discover that in that store, a child saw something that he wanted. He asked for it, perhaps demanded it from his mother, who for reasons of her own said no, and the protest began, possibly including the charge, if you loved me, you would buy that for me. If there are loving parents on the earth, why do children ever have to suffer? The former question might become. Something of this entitlement mentality lies behind this objection to our view of God. Men make themselves the definers and the arbiters of what is good and evil. If you ask the person who asks that question, what is good, that person would say something like this. Well, good is an abundance of pleasure. It is the absence of pain. It is prosperity. It is peace. It is happiness. And evil is the lack of one or all of these things. As Christians, we understand that the Elements of life that we hate are intended for our good by our loving God. Near the end of Genesis, we read of Joseph, who was remembering the treachery of the brothers who hated him and sold him into slavery. And to them, this wise man said, you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Paul in Romans 8.28 said these familiar words that we know, Paul said, not that we think, not we believe, but we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. And in our text, Paul said to ancient believers, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And beyond this, the Bible tells us that God is active in the world, restraining the forces of evil. We see this particularly in the first chapter of Romans which means that because of the loving care of God and his oversight of all things, we don't know what real suffering could possibly be. And in fact, if God were to withdraw his hand and unleash the powers of darkness, then the suffering that would follow would make life as we know it now look like the Garden of Eden before the fall. We need to consider how bad things could be if our loving God were to withdraw his restraining hand, when we wonder if there is a loving God, why is there suffering among men? The scriptures teach that God in his goodness is no respecter of persons, that all people everywhere are the recipients of his favor. Therefore, thanksgiving is reasonably expected from all men. And note in this regard, 
According to Galatians 6.10, you and I are called to imitate the behavior and to duplicate the character of God. We are called, according to Paul, to do good to all people, especially to those of the household of faith. Our obedience, our conformity to the character and the will of God become a part of the silent witness of our lives in the darkness of the world that Jesus called salt and light. If thanksgiving is reasonably expected from all people, because all people are the recipients of the kindness of God, it is particularly demanded of us as Christians who have experienced so much more than the average person. We have been drawn into a saving relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We are filled by his spirit. We walk in the light of his presence and word the days of our lives, and we have eternity promised to us on the pages of his word. Peter said to Christians, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you were strangers to mercy, but now you have received mercy. John said, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And Jesus said, everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Surely for a people who rightly call themselves Christians, this relates to the recognition of the continued goodness of God and to the giving of thanks. In the scriptures, we find many expressions of thanksgiving that come from the lips or the pens of Christian believers. For example, Psalm 103 that we read together a few moments ago expresses an ancient man's thanksgiving for the forgiveness of our sins. In that psalm, he said, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. And he begins the psalm by saying to himself, bless the Lord, thank the Lord, the word means, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. In Romans 7, we find Paul referring to a personal struggle in his own life, a struggle that is not unique to Paul, but is common to every person who is struggling to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and frustrated by his failure to be all that Christ calls him to be. And in the midst of that struggle, Paul said, I know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I do, I don't understand. For that which I will to do, I fail to practice, and that which I hate, that I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death, he asked. And then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the first chapter of Ephesians, the first chapter of Thessalonians and other letters, Paul expresses his thanksgiving for the signs of real faith in the lives of Christian people of his time. And he says to them, therefore, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love for all the Christians, I never cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And in the first chapter of Peter, thanksgiving is offered to God 
for his working in our lives, even in trials and accomplishing his own purposes that are often mysterious to us. There he likens the trials that God introduces to our lives to the fire that a goldsmith uses to heat metal to a boiling point or a melting point in order that the impurities might be skimmed from its surface. And he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. In order that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. To us, as Christian people, of much greater importance than the uncertainties of life is the certainty of death. To us, we are far more, far more threatened than the dark world of evil men is the degrading influence of sin on our hearts and minds. Of greater value to us than the freedom of worship is the desire to worship. More than we long to see bustling factories and bustling malls, we long to see bustling churches. Far weightier than our indebtedness to man is our indebtedness to God. And our greatest aspiration is life is not for success and advancement in the eyes of man, but to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In each of these balances of values and goals, we see the hand of God at work within us. And in each area of conflict, we are promised the victory in Jesus Christ. Therefore, each should be the object of our prayers. Each should be the subject of our thanksgiving. Finally, I call your attention to Paul's words. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And point out that it seems a strange thing that the same scriptures that set before us the common grace that is shed upon all men and the special grace that we have found in Jesus Christ also remind us repeatedly of the good things that fill our lives because of the loving kindness of God and then remind us to be thankful. It's a natural and an embarrassing question for us to ask, why do we have to be reminded to be thankful when God is so manifestly good to us. Wouldn't one expect to be thanks, thanksgiving to be natural to Christian people, that we would never have to be reminded to be thankful? And yet the scriptures do that very thing. Reminding us that there is something in our fallen human nature that accepts the good things in life as if they are somehow our due and therefore not requiring special recognition or the giving of thanks. Human nature has not changed through all of the centuries and the millennia of human history, which means that you and I are each infected with that sinful inclination to take the goodness of God for granted and to let his blessings slip by unnoticed and unacknowledged. And therefore, from the pages of his word, he cries out to us, be thankful, be thankful. Be thankful. May this Thursday be a day, and may our preparation for it be a season in which we see the hand of God in the history and the character of our nation and in our individual lives as well. May this be a time in which we reflect joyfully and solemnly on the riches of his mercy we are caused to know as Christians 
And may all of this find its way into the prayers we offer as a part of our personal devotions and those we offer with our family and friends on this special day. And may our lives be transformed by the working of his spirit in such a way that every Thursday and every day find us on our knees, giving our heartfelt thanks to the one who has made us his own, who fills our lives with good things and promises us a place with him in the heavens forever beyond the trials and the limitations of time. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the wisdom that has caused men to set aside a day in our national calendar specifically for the giving of thanks. And we pray that as those who call ourselves your children in Jesus Christ might take the lead in the giving of thanks. We might be found speaking to our neighbors and our friends in various places, encouraging them to take the day seriously. We pray for ourselves, we pray for our church, we pray for our land, our God, that this next Thursday might be a day on which anthems of praise rise from the hearts and the voices of your people. In Jesus' name.